Trash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston, and today we are talking about this year's release by Armored Saint, Win Hands Down. Boy, are we going to talk about this album. This is <laughs> this is the first 2015 album that we've talked about this year. It um, is. Mostly because we have such a list in our own heads, and I'm sure in a Word doc somewhere on our computers, of the billion albums that we would like to do for an oh, episode yeah. on the show. But uh, but we yeah, covered a lot of the old ground, I think, in terms of like, these are the ones we have to talk about in, in season one. Well, you say that. You say that. But I, uh, because this is, in case people don't realize, this is the last episode of volume one <clears throat> that we're doing today. And I, in as part of my preparation, started making a list of what I considered to be like essentials, you know, okay, we didn't get chance to talk about these. So we, I really, these must be my picks for volume two. And I'm already up to nine albums, which is like way too many. (laughs) I'm just pulling up mine because I have a similar list on mine of like stuff that we haven't talked or ones that I started even before season one that we haven't hit upon yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just, oh, they're all, they've always been on the list. I'm just sort of moving them up going, okay, I have to talk about these in volume two. And yeah, there's already two more, too many to fit into the next season. So definitely, you know, there is plenty, plenty for us to to talk about even aside from new albums but yes new album today yeah i'm really excited about that too as we will talk about when we get into the album itself um not only because i recently saw them in concert but because this is uh this is going to be a really fun album to talk about but of course as we sort of start every episode with we have some feedback on our last episode and the last episode was uh within temptations the silent force um, and we had a lot of reaction to that on Facebook, and I pulled some of the comments there. Uh, let's see, Liam Ayers said, uh, well, he put a general one. Hey, guys, I just felt compelled to patronize after this episode. Being the first one to introduce me to a new band, I felt compelled to check out more of. Keep up the great work, and I'll be trying to slip Anthony's suggestions for albums at Thought Bubble. <laughs> yeah, that's the Thought Bubble Comic Con, which takes place, as we record, takes place uh, in a little under a week in Leeds. Which is growing every single year. I mean, that that show is getting absolutely huge. I think it's so, pretty much reached capacity by now, actually. I don't think it can physically get any bigger without moving somewhere else. It's, uh, yeah, it really has gone from strength to strength. So my friend, John Stetson, uh, as, us- as expected, said uh, his response to this one was, <laughs> um, no, great voice. He said, almost angelic and some haunting melodies, but nothing about this album gets the juices flowing. He said, guitars can never take a backseat in a metal band. So I think that is a, I could just take that quote and that would sum up, I think, John's musical tastes as, <laughs> well, as someone I, who I grew up with listening to 80s music. And the thing is, I'm not, I'm not exactly in disagreement. Um, you know, I mean, I chose that album. And yes, as I mentioned when we were talking about it, it does have, you know, the guitars are pretty low in the mix and it does mm-hmm. emphasize the other sort of more symphonic uh, aspects of it. But uh but the guitars are still there you know you can still hear them and as i uh i posted a couple of examples actually both in patreon and on the facebook group if you and as again i said this uh when we were talking about the album the album before it had a different sort of sound and mix and the albums uh-huh. after it also have different sounds and mixes each of their albums sounds not very different from the ones that came before, but different enough that they, you know, that it stands out. And so I posted a couple of examples of tracks from one from the album before, one from the album following, 
as an example of, you know, listen to these, the guitars actually are really quite prominent in these tracks. So it really is, you just have to sort of pick your your time period, if you like, for Within Temptation. But like I said at the time, the reason I chose that particular album was because I think it's the catchiest album of theirs. Yeah. And I think a lot of times too, as metal fans, especially metal fans of a certain age, a lot of times we tend to talk about production as either good or bad. Like it's this, it's this all or nothing thing. Like, oh, if it didn't sound exactly the way I wanted to, it was a bad production. As opposed to how we think about all of the other aspects of the album, you know, in terms of creative choices, we we tend to not yeah. always talk about the production as a creative choice, you know. And so, as you're talking about with these different albums that they have taking a different approach to the production each time, taking a different approach to where the guitars are in the mix and stuff like that. Those are creative choices a lot of times. Sure, there's bad production and there's cheap production on some albums, especially some of the ones that we grew up with, but a lot of times it is a conscious choice in terms of the mix that's happening. And I think we don't always talk about it in that way. We, We tend to talk about it as, well, the production was crappy or the production was really good. Yeah, I think that's because, you know, we just... Uh, we all expect to be able to hear every instrument pretty equally. Sure. Uh, you know, and there are some great metal albums. I mean, Metallica's Black Album, perfect example. The production on that is so great, so crystal clear. Every single instrument can be heard in its entirety. And that's, you know, th- that's held up as pretty much a gold standard in terms of metal uh, production. Um, uh, Rage Against Machines' first album is actually within i gather within like sort of professional audio engineering circles is held up as a gold standard um of again you know clarity because every instrument can be heard to its fullest extent and everything's perfectly balanced and so i think we just you know a lot of us as you say gravitate towards that ideal as being well therefore that's great right. production um but yeah you know it may i mean uh, look at a lot of typo negatives albums they are kind of muddy almost, uh, you know, in the production, especially the guitars. Um, but it is clear that that's, as you say, that's a deliberate creative choice for the sound that they're going for. And I love their albums. I love Typo Negative. So, yeah, it's really difficult. To say. We say good and bad, but what we really mean when we say that, I think most of the time is just clarity. Right. I agree with you. And, uh, Let's see what else we have here. Oh, uh, David Richardson, who has posted a ton on <laughs> yes. our Facebook page. Uh, he D- for listeners who don't remember, David is the I mentioned him last week. He's the friend of mine from Minnesota who uh, I collaborated on an album with. He has a few bands of his own, and uh, it turns out a revelation that uh, My Dying Bride is pretty much the only place where David and I intersect. It would seem that's how we bonded initially. But uh, I'm rapidly discovering that actually we have very different opinions about just about everything else. <laughs> yes. And what's great is that he came to the podcast late. So what he's been doing is going back and going through each episode and posting notes about it and stuff like that. So if you jumped on the podcast late, and you are looking to get in on discussions of those different episodes, there's pretty much ones up for almost all of the episodes now. And if not, they'll be going up. So that's good because it's kind of, we, we started the Facebook group a few episodes in. We so did, we but I went, back and, I went back and po- posted uh, posts for all of the early episodes. So yes, if you go and look in the archives of the Facebook group, all of the episodes do have their own posts there that you can 
chat with and reply to and also uh david in particular because he i think he's using like a sort of mobile app or something to access yes. facebook so just starts his own threads because he can't seem to reply to the th- <laughs> to right. the actual official show threads anyway <laughs> so he hit on something which became a fun discussion discussion on the group uh he said, sometimes I think it sounds a bit like Brian, mostly, and Anthony, far less, are stretching to find things that they like in the other person's album pick. Even on the Megadeth one, I was waiting for Anthony to say, this is absolute shit, and it never happened. He said, uh, and then uh, Darren Gleaton said, it's always interesting to see if Anthony is actually going to enjoy any of Brian's picks. <laughs> Not to speak ill, I'm just entertained by what a hater he can be sometimes. And then David responded, "It's a, the beautiful thing about this is that we all have our tastes, and it seems like everyone is allowed to have a different opinion here so far. What kind of stuff do you like that they've reviewed? So that sort of took on a life of its own. But a couple things that jumped out to me, and you and I could talk about sort of our our differing tastes in a minute, but I like that he said it seems like everyone is allowed to have a differing opinion here. And I think that's something that not only is a theme of this show, but also want to continue to make sure that people are conversing in that way on the facebook page and so yeah, we far want to encourage it in the community absolutely you know the the we subtitled this show the metal arguments for a reason i mean it's a bit of a joke you know i don't i know we don't have knockdown drag out arguments on the show but the point is that that's half the fun of being a big music fan and especially a metal fan is that you know we generally tend to have strong opinions as metal fans and it's okay to have different opinions and to disagree and argue about them because, you know, you're only arguing about opinions and tastes. It's not, well, you know, as long as you're not being insulting uh, right. per, to the personally insulting to the other person or the other people, then it's fine. You know, everybody can have their own opinion. This is the beauty of life. Yes. And so the, the idea that uh, you and I are sometimes stretching to find things that we like about the other person's pick, I think on one hand is by design and on the other hand is the organic nature of the show and the fact that we don't know what the other person is going to pick and we are introducing each other to a lot of albums that we haven't listened to before yeah um i was surprised to be called a hater i (laughs) i'm not offended i was just a little surprised i'm like am i really (laughs) i would say more than anything it's that my picks tend to be in a pretty particular wheelhouse so that there are certain parts of our interests that don't overlap and I will probably continue going back to that particular well. So I think sure, that sure. may just be that, you know, with the 80 stuff that I picked and the 80 stuff that I picked so far on this show, I would say if if I'm guilty of anything in season 1, it is having somewhat safe picks in terms of albums that I think are sort of universally liked in in terms of 80s fans and stuff like that. If you like 80s metal, mm. then you'll like this particular album. I um, think some but of that, that just list comes I from have... it just being volume one, though. You know, and right, as we said at the start, we wanted to cover the big four because that's obvious, and then we're covering albums that are not necessarily obvious, but that seem sort of logical to, okay, you know, if we're going to do this show, we've got to talk. You can't ignore certain albums by certain bands, at least as far as our tastes go so and you know i'm looking down the list now and actually it's only really the megadeth and queensrike albums that i really you know was not keen on um all all of your other picks i you know i either liked or at least you know could see the appeal of so you know (laughs) my victory for season one is sister sin not right, only not only yeah. with you, but with other listeners of the show. I felt yep. like uh, that was definitely something. And uh, I would say of the albums funnily, that you picked- I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I was listening to um, 
uh, just a sort of shuffle playlist of metal stuff in the car the other day um, with Marcia, my partner, and uh, some Sister Sin tracks came up in the shuffle. And she'd never heard them before. She's not really big into metal. And she uh, thought that it was an 80s hair metal band with a male front front man doing like a sort of falsetto vocal, which I think is probably the biggest compliment you could actually pay. I would agree with that, (laughs) especially because like we've talked about, she, you know, lists her interests as uh, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So yeah, I was like, you know, you don't realize it, but you've actually just paid them a huge compliment. (laughs) Yeah, and then for the stuff that you've suggested, I think like the Defiled is a band that sticks out to me as as one of your picks this season. Where I was like, "Huh, I need to find out more about this band, right? And, yeah, and sort of check that out." So, so yeah, I think that we do strive to give each other's picks a fair shake because that's the nature of the podcast. Like sure. you said in your response to one of the things, like if your response was just "This is absolute shit," it would be a pretty short episode. Yeah, that, um, that's just no fun. That's boring, you know. Yeah. Yes, I like I say, I have no intention of ever listening to that Megadeth album again, for example. Um, but, you know, I'm not just going to come on the go- show and go, well, that's terrible, that's shit, I don't like it, whatever. Because where's the fun in that? And my whole thing is, like, I'm fascinated by why people like the stuff that they like and sort of what hits them about it. So, like, we've mm. talked about my sort of three-listen rule, at least. And I, especially with this show, this show has really rekindled that whole idea in my head of really digging into an album and, and spending a lot of time with it and stuff like that. And it also seems to have become a sort of mantra amongst listeners, which I think is really cool. <laughs> I do too. That makes me very, very happy because um, when we talk about this album today, like there are the more that I think you apply that principle and it could be three, it could be four, it could be five, whatever your, your number is. But I think that you start to realize that especially for albums that are not immediate hooks, you really do them a disservice if you don't give them a few solid listens because for many of them it takes yeah. a few listens for you to really understand where each song is going. The 80s stuff that I grew up on is easy to listen to in one listen because a lot of it is very formulaic and it either grabs you or it doesn't. Right, but I right. think with a lot of these other albums that we're talking about, like there's a lot more first, under the surface. Yeah, and at first listen, you might not even like it. Like your first response might be none of those songs grab me, but then you give it two or three listens and all of a sudden things start to bubble up to the surface and and you end up yep. having a completely different appreciation. So. Absolutely. So I thought um, that was interesting. Th- this actually, let me just interrupt the feedback for a second, because this brings up something that we need to actually ask the listeners, and that is how we're going to schedule the next volume. Um, mm-hmm. People who are listening along sort of live, as it were, will know that these last few episodes have been a bit delayed. Um, I, I apologize. That is entirely down to me. However, Looking ahead, like my schedule for the next year, that's not, it's not going to get any easier, especially with the Coldest City movie, like sort of ramping up, Mm -hmm. you know, there'll probably be commitments and stuff involving that, that I've got next year. Um, It's not going to get any easier for me to find free time. But part of the problem is it's, uh, it's not finding the free time to record. It's finding the free time to have make sure that I have given the album a good full listen. You know, uh-huh. that I have listened to the album three or four times and made my notes on it and then record. That's what takes the time, um, especially because I don't have a commute. So I, <laughs> I literally, you know, I have to sit and listen to it at home. Um, so we can either, for volume two, we can either uh, try and record more in advance so that we can then release an episode every week or every 10 days or something, like regularly and not, you know, sort of fall foul of, getting late towards the end of the schedule or 
we can release them less often but be more sort of responsive. And what I mean by that is if we record them in advance, of course, yes, we'll be able to release them more regularly on time, but we won't be able to, because we're recording them in advance, we won't be able to incorporate things like feedback from the Facebook page and from Patreon and tweets and stuff that we get from people. Um, But if we wait and we do incorporate that feedback, that means that we might only be able to release an episode every two, two and a half weeks. And I want to know what people would prefer. I have a hunch that people would prefer the second option because I think we are building a bit of a community here and that's that's really nice. I like that. But I would like to know from listeners which of those approaches they would prefer us to take. Um, and I'd especially, obviously, like to hear from Patreon, from Definitely. our patrons uh, about that because, you know, they are, God bless them, uh, you know, donating money every time we release an episode. So go to thrashedoutpodcast.com and hit the contact link. You can tweet us, you can email us, you can go to the Facebook group, which incidentally is facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. And let us know, let us know what you would prefer. And we'll take all the feedback on board and then, you know, make a decision about how we're going to do volume two, because I think, yeah, you know, it's got to be one of those two options. Um, and I would really rather do you know, we could do either. I would ha- be happy to do either, but I therefore, you know, want to leave the decision in the hands of the actual listeners. Absolutely. And I'm fine with either way as well. I mean, if we did every other week, it gives people more time to listen to the albums in between. Wh- whatever works best for, I think, our listeners is something that we'll try to figure out. Like like you said, this year we were able to bank a bunch of episodes in the beginning and do that. Um, and, and stay for the most part on a weekly schedule. And so as that becomes more difficult, we'll figure it out one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of the Facebook group as well, one of the other reasons that I wanted to mention it is I posted a video there a couple of days ago, which I, uh, it's just a silly little video from a guy. I can't remember his name. I think he's an audio engineer and he posts, uh, sort of, you know, some interesting stuff about recording studio, you know, things on Facebook, uh, on YouTube. But he also posts some comedy videos, like he's got a series of things guitarists say in the studio, things bass players say in the studio, that sort of thing. Um, and this one was, uh, I think it was like, you know, how Gent was created or something. And uh, it's a very, very funny video. It's the sort of, once again, it's the, we've said this before, it's the sort of thing that you can only do if you understand you know, you can only parody it that well if you actually understand what you're talking about. Um, yep. And yeah, it just cracked me up, so I posted it. Uh, and I made a joke saying, like, you know, the sad part is that I would actually listen to this sort of joke gent track that he's created because uh, I quite like the the rhythm of it. Um, but it made me, joking aside, you should go there and watch it because it's very funny, but joking aside, it made me think, do you remember when we were doing The Defiled and we said that they regard themselves... Oh, sorry, not that they regard themselves, but the media regard them as an industrial metal band. Yep. And I said that I didn't really see that. Well, having watched that video, it, as I was watching it, the sort of the joke track that he came up with, I suddenly thought, wow, actually, that sounds a lot like ministry. Like, really oh, yeah. sounds like sort of, you know, like prime era ministry. Um, and And so, I don't know, you're just kind of thinking, so maybe there is something to that after all. You know, maybe there is an element of, yeah, sort of um, Mind's a Terrible Thing and Psalm 69 era ministry in the sort of modern gent movement. 
and it maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's just kind of because those kids grew up listening to that stuff. Um, but yeah, maybe there is something to it after all. Well, and the more that you dig into like um, influences, like we just mentioned Sister Sin and having Twisted Sister as an influence, like I, I kind of felt that when I listened to them, but I never made that perfect connection in my head of that. But then you read an interview and you, and right. you hear that. And it's always interesting to hear where these bands get their influences from because what, what was I listening to this week? Oh, Merciful Fate. So I've been listening oh, wow. to a lot of Merciful Fate recently. Um, and maybe that's something we'll talk about in season two because I saw King Diamond for the first time in at the Mayhem Festival this summer and I was blown away. He still sounds amazing. Uh, the band is super tight and the stage show is something that everybody should see at least once in their life. And But I was never a huge Merciful Fate guy. And mm-hmm. I was never a huge King Diamond guy growing up. He was always on Headbangers Ball. The 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 stuff with the music was there the whole time that I was listening to all of these other bands. But I recently subscribed again to Amazon Prime, and all a lot of the Merciful Fate and King Diamond stuff is on there. So I've been really sort of digging into it. And what immediately struck me is how Slayer is influenced by Merciful Fate, especially really? in terms of their guitar tone and their their early sound and then i watched a interview where because they were on the same tour together carrie king of slayer and king diamond were talking and it's fascinating to hear king diamond talk seems like a super nice guy um but carrie king was talking about how you know him and hanneman were influenced by merciful fate and and king diamond early even though they kind of came up around some of the same time but if you go back and listen to some of the early slayer albums uh you can really hear that merciful fate sound in there, which is kind wow. of awesome. I, but I'm I never knew that. Never enough. had that connection. Yeah, I'm not familiar enough with. I mean, I I have listened to Merciful Fate and King Diamond, but it's not my thing at all. So I'm not familiar enough to to have sort of noticed that influence. But that's fascinating. And the idea of bands that are contemporaries being influences, I don't think is that unusual actually within metal anyway. Right. Uh, it actually seems to be a fairly I, I, you know, I've seen several bands kind of because they all kind of come up in the same scene, you know, well, look at the early industrial movement. You know, you can't tell me that like Nine Inch Nails was not influenced by ministry and that ministry were not conversely influenced by Absolutely. what Trent Reznor was doing. You know, these guys were all, and then you bring White Zombie into the mix and, you know, God knows. So these guys are all sort of influencing one another as part of the same scene, I think, to an extent. And you can look, I mean, they're, you know, if you talk about uh, the industrial movement, you've then got to look at sort of the godfathers, things like Nitzreb and Skinny Puppy, that were maybe the precursors. But again, they were contemporaries. So it's all it's all connected, man. It's all linked. <laughs> yeah, it really is kind of awesome to, to go back and check out some of that stuff. Because now, again, through a lot of us having these discussions on this show, I'm sort of going back and filling in gaps in my knowledge of the era of music that i grew up in which i have a pretty good knowledge of but there are definitely some big blind spots in Mm. that era of music for me that i'm going back and really digging into now and finding stuff that i never knew that i would love like the merciful fate thing the last thing i'll say about that is it is less like i think what you and i thought it is than it actually is and i know that is a terrible sentence but basically (laughs) you think of king diamond and all you think of is him screaming at the top of his lungs shattering glass for the entire song all the time. Like that's the vision that you get in your head because a lot of their most popular videos and stuff like that were showcasing his vocals. 
you know, in that way. And then you go back and you listen to some of this Merciful Fate stuff and even some of the, the King Diamond stuff, and it's not as over the top and constant as you would assume that it would be. And that was a pleasant surprise for me. Like I was really I was really surprised and psyched about how good the music is and how um how it's not just him shouting in your ears the whole entire time. It is it is not that which so so that makes me <laughs> want to dig true. into more of their stuff. That is true, but I actually sort of attempted to re-listen to uh some Merciful Fate and King Diamond not so long ago, maybe six months ago or so actually. Um, I can't remember why it came up in conversation. I thought, you know, I haven't listened to that in years. Maybe I should reassess it. And no, I still, no, <laughs> it's still not for me. <laughs> but I tried, I tried, you know. Um, and But talking about, you know, sort of gaps in knowledge, look what happened a couple of weeks ago. I had never listened to Dio's debut album, you know. Oh, right, yes. I remember I'd heard a couple of tracks off it, it turns out, without realising it, but uh, well, apart from Holy Diver itself, but I had never listened to the whole album, and that's a that's an insane gap for somebody like me to have in their musical knowledge. But you know, there it is. Right, and you we have a few. You can't listen a, to everything. <laughs> that's true. You can't. But in the but now it's kind of cool to be able to go back, and now we have an excuse. You know, like oh right. well, you know, I'm <laughs> yes. thinking about maybe doing an episode on on this particular band, so I'm going to go back and listen to their back stuff, and yep. uh, and especially because some of that stuff is a little bit more accessible nowadays than it was just because of you know your oh, so Amazon Prime music, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and although I still, I have a local music shop. I'm fortunate in my immediate area, and they do an amazing job. This guy Gary that still runs it, like for the past forty years, does an amazing job of getting these old albums. And he's got the the used CD sh- section at the store, and the used vinyl section is just huge. And so a lot of this stuff I can actually track down physical copies of. So I'll give it a listen on a thing like Amazon Prime, and if it speaks to me, then I will go and track it down, and he'll get me whatever I can't Right, yeah, I, I turn store, to eBay awesome. for that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, and eBay's great for that, yeah. too, which is probably, now I think about it, where he gets some of that stuff. Yeah, maybe um, so, yeah. A couple more comments I wanted to get to just about the um, Within Temptation album. So, we had... Uh, Darren Gleaton said, I just started this episode, but I feel safe in saying I didn't care for this one. Symphonic metal has never been one of my things. I want to blame the production on this album. I feel like the music is often washed out by the vocals. So we kind of hit upon that yeah, and talked yeah. about that. Um, Donald Cardenas. I definitely want to read his because he was very excited about us doing this album and this band. He said, well, I can say that Anthony and I share extremely similar opinions on this band. I am a good fan of symphonic metal. And while I can acknowledge the flaws, tropes of the genre, I get a lot out of it that more traditional metal doesn't do and vice versa. He said, I would say that if you did not like anything on this album, then they are most likely not for you. Their previous album was, as Anthony stated, very folk metal. Songs seemed to be more fantasy-based, and a lot of the instrumentation leaned that way. The next album, Heart of Everything, is much better production-wise in mixing the guitars, and I think some of the tunes off of there were added to the Evanescence, added to the Evanescence comparison, especially a song called What Have You Done? Yeah. Uh, he said, Heart of Everything has more riffage as well. Their next album, The Unforgiving, was a step further towards more rock than metal the symphonic elements slash keyboards take a step back and the guitars come forward a bit more it's a great album though faster is a good track to listen to and get a feel for it the newest album hydra takes pretty much everything they've done and rolls it into something different plenty of symphonic elements but also some great guitar work dangerous uh featuring howard jones and paradise featuring uh tarja are standouts to me one of the major things i love about this band is the constant growth and tweaking I think this sets them apart from a lot of their peers. 
Absolutely. And the whole reason that the latest album is, was called Hydra was because it was sort of, they felt that the album uh, demonstrated that they were effectively a band with lots of different heads, that they had lots of different styles and lots of different things that they did. And, you know, it's kind of hard to pin them down. And I agree with that 100%. I, as I mentioned in uh, response to that thread, I wasn't a big fan of that album, The Unforgiving. It was a concept album and linked in with a graphic novel. And it was just, it all felt a bit woolly, to be honest. Um, but I thought, I think Hydra is a great album. And the heart of everything, as I said when we were talking about them last uh, episode, I think it is a really good album. It's just, uh, I don't think there are as many songs that stick in your head on it as there were in The Silent Force. Uh, Lenny Reed said, I wasn't keen going in. I have the same feelings as Brian about symphonic metal sounds, so I tended to dismiss it all before dipping a toe in. However, once again, thanks to the podcast, I found myself really enjoying Sharon's voice, and that led to enjoying some of the hooks, and he said, sigh, I might have to check out more. I really hope you guys don't do any pirate metal albums. Uh, and he posted a link to the duet, a video of the duet that you had talked about where the, where she, the lead singer was uh, duetting with someone else and they were sort of smiling at each other as they. Right. Though that I mentioned with uh, Annika von Gersberg from uh, the gathering. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to mention actually in response to that episode, a quick shout out to uh, Mr. Internet celebrity Merlin Mann. Um, who apparently listens to the show. I had no idea. Wow. Uh, and uh, he uh, tweeted at me going like, so I guess I like symphonic metal now. Thanks, I think. <laughs> like, We're getting this sort of backhanded <laughs> praise from a lot of our <laughs> listeners now. Yeah. Like, he yeah, posted so... a link to a YouTube video of like an entire concert of theirs. Yep. And yeah, apparently he's like, so I kind of like this stuff, it turns out. <laughs> yes. Our intent is not to make everyone have to spend more money, but it's just sort of a byproduct <laughs> of you checking out and liking happy accident. Uh, more music. It is a happy accident, yeah. Uh, and Kenneth White said, I have to agree with Brian on the whole symphonic metal sound. For me, it's way too overproduced, too much sheen. I never managed to make it through the album three times. I now use this rule, by the way, following anything on this podcast, which is awesome to hear. He said, every time the guitars come up in the mix, they just seem to be drowned out by either the strings or the vocals. And while I understand this is the sound that the band are going for, I just found myself praying for some grit, maybe some bellowing or a growling vocal. But then again, that's just my taste. He said, what I did find interesting was that even though I'd written off the album, the two of you talking it up and playing sections of the album made me dig it out again. Still a no-go, but I'd like to think it is a compliment that you can get someone to pick up an album again, even after disliking it as much as I did. A little less clarinet and a lot more distortion, please, like most of the things in life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, that's a high compliment for us. If you're, if you're going back to albums that you listened to before the podcast and did not like, but you're giving them a second shake, that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. And incidentally, I would say uh, if you are after a bit more grit and maybe some growling vocals, uh, some of their earlier, well, basically with Intimidation released, I think it was one EP and one album before they did Mother Earth, which was where they really sort of found the symphonic sound. Um, and those were called Enter and The Dance. Um, I think Enter was the album and The Dance was the EP, I think. Uh, and those do have, they are generally a bit slower, less orchestral. Um, there are still plenty of keyboards, but there are a lot more, the guitars are much higher in the mix. And you have Sharon's husband, Robert, growling on uh, many of the tracks on those albums um, before they sort of just stopped doing that, you know, altogether. Um, originally, they were one of these sort of Beauty and the Beast, as they're known, bands, where he would growl and she would sing. Um, so, you know, 
go and check those out. If you can find those on Amazon Prime or eBay or something, you may prefer those instead because you still get Sharon's voice, but you get a grittier guitar sound and you get some growling vocals. So, hey. That may be the flavor of Within Temptation that Kenneth likes the best. Exactly. Exactly. You never know. So thank you to everybody who leaves feedback on the Facebook page and who hits us up on Twitter and on the Patreon page. I mean, we have gotten some fantastic, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like there's some fantastic discussions that are going on on the Facebook page and on Twitter and on Patreon about not only the stuff that we've talked about, but just music in general. And it really is exactly what we were hoping for in terms of this podcast generating discussion. So it's, I just, I'm constantly like, yeah, I'm just constantly poking in there and seeing what people are talking about. And uh, it's taken on a life of its own now, which is really great. Yeah. And along those lines, on that note, uh, we would, seeing seeing as this is the last episode of volume one, we would like to thank uh, all of our patrons. Um, You know, let's be honest, we don't have a lot, but you are all very important to us. Uh, And if anybody listening hasn't, uh, become a patron yet obviously we would you know encourage you to do so but uh for volume one we would like to thank uh john parkinson david Wynn, jonathan moore kenneth white kenny mobley daryl garland john stetson of course matt mason Kay schumann liam ayers darren gleaton and i'm sorry i'm going to butcher this torren gruenbeck i think that's how you pronounce it i think uh, you did thank- better than i would have done <laughs> thank you all for uh for supporting the show thank you all for being patrons and you know supporting the show as much as you can um we hope that you uh enjoy it we hope that we do you proud um and yeah you know let's all keep on keeping on maybe we can come up with a cool name for them next season like the road crew or something like that like something something concert related to uh to really hype up the fact that we have this small dedicated crew that is helping us keep the lights on yeah, okay, there's another thing then. When you're giving us feedback about how you'd like us to do Volume 2, give us some ideas for what you'd like to be called as well. Because, I mean, Thrashers is the obvious one, but that's a bit obvious and dull. Uh, so, yeah, give us some ideas for what you think fans of the show should be called as well. That could be interesting. And, and before we get into Armored Saint, which is what we're going to do in one second, I mean, w- because this is sort of the, the last thing of Volume 1, and the idea behind the volumes was sort of, if you looked at each season of the podcast, if you will, as sort of an album. Like or a compilation a, a, album. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty proud of the mix that we have for this season. I mean, we have a, a very cool mix of albums that we've talked about over the course of this season, and it really hits on a lot of different genres. And so mm. it's, as we've gone along... I think always in the back of our mind is, well, have we done anything from this particular genre right, of metal? Right. Or have, and I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, it, it's kind of cool. I'm When we're done, I'm actually going to go back and listen to the whole season all over again because I think we've we've gone to some interesting places and hopefully talked about an album that fit into a lot of people's preferred genres or you know musical tastes or stuff like that. And if there's something out there that we haven't covered at all, that you really want to hear about, you know, I'll certainly let us know on those different channels that Anthony mentioned, because, uh, because it feels like we did a pretty good job of being diverse on this season. We did. I mean, we haven't, you know, we, we haven't covered, uh, like sort of groove metal. We haven't really covered industrial. Uh, we haven't really covered, well, speed metal to an extent with Megadeth, but that's more, you know, thrash than real speed. You know, there are, uh, yeah, lots of, sort where we haven't covered grunge, at all, you know, and by that I mean the the, the metal end of grunge, like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Um, we haven't covered new metal, 
because you know much as their detractors might say so the defiled are not a new metal band come on um you know th- there are many many areas of metal that we still haven't co- folk metal celtic metal good lord you know we haven't covered lots of areas uh because there are so many of them within metal but we have covered nevertheless yeah, a pretty diverse uh we've got a pretty diverse selection of what we did cover you know it's not like we have um repeated ourselves i don't think even within the big four even within the big four i don't think we've repeated ourselves really at all you know every album has sounded quite different yeah and if you in regards to the big four i mean we picked some interesting albums i think of their catalogs to talk about and so you know chances are that those four bands will come up again at some point you know over the life of this podcast because (laughs) there's volume 10 or something (laughs) exactly there's there's plenty of other albums that i'm sure people want to hear about but yeah i feel i feel good about what we've done but you're right there's a lot of genres that we haven't even hit on yet and that already has me thinking about which ones that i have spent some time with and which ones i need to get more well versed in yeah absolutely absolutely all right so uh but enough of that enough of that let us get to the album win hands down by armored saint so much stuff to say about this album let's talk about the band first so armored saint for those of you who and it sounds like a lot of our listeners are pretty familiar with armored saint at least in passing um John Bush is probably most well-known at this point as being the lead singer of Anthrax for longer than Joey Belladonna. Maybe not longer anymore now that Joey's back with the band, but he spent about 15 years with uh, with Anthrax and, according to you and I, made some of their best albums with them. I certainly think so, yeah. Incidentally, yeah. also, John Bush now has the honor of being the only vocalist featured twice in volume one of this show. <laughs> I've just realized. <laughs> yep, which I am completely fine with and, and happy about. Uh, so he's most well known for that, I think, but those who have listened to eighties metal growing up and stuff like that, at least remember Armored Saint being around. And for me, Armored See, I had, I had, I just want to quickly say, I had never even heard of Armored Saint until, really? until John Bush became the vocalist of Anthrax and everybody said, oh, ex Armored Saint vocalist, John Bush. And I was like, who? I'd literally never heard of them. That's interesting. And I believe me, I was not a huge, like armored saint fan at that time i knew right, armored but you'd saint. heard of them i had heard of them yeah and i knew them from the album uh symbol of salvation because it got pretty heavy rotation on um headbangers ball at the time and that was their 1991 album and they had a song called reign of fire which was amazing i put a, a link to it in our facebook page but that's how i knew them so i sort of had just really discovered armored saint and then he went to anthrax because it was after right. that album that he went over to Anthrax. But I had at least heard of them. I'd seen them around. They had a few uh, videos that were on Headbangers Ball and stuff like that. So for a long time, this band was sort of inactive. But they have a really interesting history because they have been around since the early 80s. They had a, uh, an EP on Metal Blade Records in 1983. Uh, they put out March of the Saint, Delirious Nomad, Raising Fear, Saints Will Conquer, and Symbol of Salvation between 1984 and 1991. And then they kind of went on hiatus because John Bush went to uh, Anthrax for a while. And then in 2000, they got back together, I think, in 1999. In 2000, they put out an album called Revelation. In 2001, they put out sort of a demos and rarities album called Nod to the Old School. And then they went dark again. Because again, John Bush had, you know, involvement with Anthrax, not involvement with Anthrax. That was when things were were kind of going back and forth. And then they really came back for 
the third time in 2010 with La Raza, which was the album that really got me excited about them again because it was when we had found out that the Anthrax thing wasn't going to work out and that it was good to see John Bush making music again with Armored Saint. The thing that I've learned in listening to them and spending more time with their back catalog and everything else is that if you think of Armored Saint as John Bush, you are really doing this band a disservice because holy crap, they have some amazing musicians in this band. Um, and they've had pretty much the same lineup for almost their entire lifetime, except for the fact that they had a guitar player by the name of David Pritchard, who was one of the early members of the band, who was actually diagnosed with leukemia and he passed away. And so when he had passed away, their uh, other original guitar player, Phil Sandoval, came back to the band and has been with them ever since. So since about 1989, 1990, they've had the same lineup. And it's pretty much been these five guys, and David Pritchard was the sixth member, that have made up this band the entire time. So they, it's not and a band as that we've has said a revolving with other bands door. In the past, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Now, granted, they've had a couple of pretty long hiatuses, but it is Even pretty so, amazing. Yeah, I think that probably makes it all the more amazing, frankly. <laughs> and they were one of these bands, man. Uh, that you know, we talked about bands like Exodus and Overkill and stuff like that. There are some bands that just miss those windows by months or a year. And they miss out on being part of the big four. They miss out on being part of this particular movement or lumped in with this group of bands that really takes the world by storm at a certain amount of time. And it feels like Armored Saint is this band who has been there all along, especially during the 80s and early 90s, and never caught on in a way that they should have. Like, it's, it's, it's weird. Well, but you can say the same thing about Testament. I totally agree. Um, Absolutely. But, but I think... I mean, you know, you and I both know that in the, uh, you know, in the business of show business uh, and with sort of creative endeavors, there is an awful lot of luck and just sort of good fortunate timing that is completely beyond your control involved in, you know, in the success. Um, You and I have both seen that ourselves. I've both seen it and missed out on it. You know, I've seen it from both sides yep. in my own career. Um, so there is an enormous amount of just sheer luck involved. Yes. But at the same time, and I, now don't get me wrong, like I've said before, I love Testament. I'm a big Testament fan. But I think there is a reason related to their music and some of the decisions they made around their music that Testament did not make it into those sort of hallowed, leagues if you like that the, the there wasn't a big five you know that there was a big four and that they weren't you know number five in a big five um and i think now i'm not massively familiar with armored saint because like i say i'd never even heard of them before john bush joined anthrax i've only i've heard a couple of tracks but in terms of the album this is actually the first album of theirs i've listened to uh-huh. and i i think the same applies to them at least based on this album which is that i think I think, uh, you know, I think basically Bush's albums with Anthrax are better than this. Um, And I think, you know, it's not always just timing. I think you sort of listen to something, you think, yeah, it's not quite, it doesn't quite make the grade of grabbing like an audience and saying like, we are, you know, part of this movement. Now, like I say, I'm not overly familiar with their earlier stuff, so I can't, speak to whether that was the case with the early stuff, but assuming that it was around the same level, um, 
I can kind of see why they might not have been, you know, part of that movement or embraced as part of that movement in the same way that a lot of the other bands around at the same time were. I would say I agree with a lot of what you said. The one thing I disagree with is that uh, that maybe it's not as good as some of the stuff that Anthrax put out, but we can talk about that when we get sure, into the, sure. the album. But I do think that you're right in that. I think some of the choices that this band makes, like Testament, and I would definitely say when we talk about suicidal tendencies at some point, yes. that is another band that I would put squarely in this category of they make choices in their music that keep them from mainstream success sometimes yes. because they're not, I don't even want to say cookie cutter enough, but the, it's just some of the choices that they make that keep them from from being as marketable as some of these other bands. And Suicidal is definitely because of the grooves that they put in, because of their heavy punk influence, and they really let that inform a lot of their even more mainstream music and stuff like that. When we talk about them, we'll talk about that, but I definitely feel that. And there's a couple times on this album where I love the choices that they've made, but I can totally see where, like, oh, this keeps this from being a radio song, or this keeps this from, you know, um, being able to be marketed as this. And so... I do think that I think the other thing too that a lot of these bands suffer from, and I think uh, Armored Saint is one of them on on some of their earlier albums because it was, we'll talk about this. I love this album, but inconsistency. So when you listen to right. Overkill, when you listen to Testament, when you listen to uh, even Suicidal and stuff like that, there is a level of consistency that, like quote unquote, the Big Four have achieved over the course of their careers that I think is not present with some of these other bands. Maybe it's that. On a ten album, a ten song album, you know, six of them are good, but four of them are maybe not so good. It's that right. stuff where you know, with with the big four, or and maybe not even in your opinion the big four, but with some of these um, bands that have really hit it bigger, there's a little bit more consistency from album. Right, to album and there might and only be album. one. There might only be one track on the album right. that's a bit dodgy, you know, but mm-hmm. the rest of it, as you say, has that consistency. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, um, and again, yeah, Testament, much as I love them, definitely suffer from that you know you can sort of go back to their earlier albums and you can pick four or five tracks off each album that are brilliant but then the rest of the album is not so brilliant yeah it's filler almost in in a lot of those cases and uh and i think actually testament with their was it dark roots of the earth that came out that was one of them where they were a lot closer to being consistent top to bottom oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, and their formation later of damnation was good too yeah their later albums basically from the point where they actually actively decided to go against the record company's wishes and become right, and a, get hev- their shit together, a heavier yeah. band. Yeah. Because the record company were, I'm sure we'll talk about Testament, so we'll get into this, but the record we company will. were basically encouraging them to be more heavy rock rather than, you know, uh-huh. hard metal. And Testament had a bit of a crisis of confidence. And then eventually they came out with Low, which was essentially a fuck you to the record label yep. saying like, no, actually we're, we're, we've decided that we're going to be a full on death metal band. Fuck you. <laughs> um, and since then, I think their albums have been brilliantly consistent. You know, I mean, they've had problems with uh, Chuck Billy's health and stuff, but musically yep. uh, when they've been able to record, they've been fantastically consistent and heavy. Unfortunately, of course, this is the end of metal that is not particularly commercially successful. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but at least they are doing what they want to do and doing it really well now. And the big four are fun to talk about, but in my mind, it's much more interesting to talk about all of these other bands and why they didn't hit, especially mm. the ones that feel like they could have, because it's just fascinating. Like you, like we talked about, like when, what was the window that they missed or what was the choice mm. that they made on a couple of these early albums that didn't 
that held them back or, you know, what was the record deal gone bad or, you know, that kind of stuff is yep. always interesting to sort of look at because here you have a band who has really been around since the 80s and never really blew up. Um, so it's, it's just interesting. Now, we mentioned that they've had kind of the same lineup. So the lineup is John Bush, obviously, on vocals. He's probably the most recognizable member of the band. Their second most recognizable member is Joey Vera, who is the bass guitarist and also does backing vocals. He's been there since the beginning. Um, we'll talk a lot about him during this episode, but he does producing now. He also played in Anthrax with John Bush in 2004. Right after the Greater of Two Evils album, Frank Bello left the band for a time, and Joey Vera was brought in to replace him. Never recorded with them, but was with the band for a while. And that was also around the time that things started to fall apart within a year or so with uh, John Bush being in the band. So so Joey Vera was kind of there near the end of the John Bush era of Anthrax. Uh, Joey Vera was also uh, asked potentially to replace Cliff Burton after he died in 1986. Oh, wow. uh, Metallica reached out to Joey Vera. So he was part of the discussions of who was going to come in after Cliff Burton died. Uh, famously, John Bush was asked to potentially audition as a singer for Metallica in the early 80s. Uh, in 1983, after Kill 'Em All came out, James Hetfield was not feeling so confident in his own singing abilities and was thinking about just focusing on guitar and having a, a singer come into the band. And so John Bush was uh, offered the chance to potentially become the singer of Metallica, and he turned it down because he felt like Armored Saint was gaining popularity at the time and potentially could do something wow yeah pretty big stuff right <laughs> so the crazy thing is so and then he goes on eventually to be the singer of anthrax for a while so it's interesting the history that john bush has with the big four in general um there's also a story about how dave mustaine like knocked over uh i think it was gonzo the drum player for uh armored saint like broke his leg during a fight in the early 80s and stuff like that so armored saint's history is sort of woven around the scene at the time you know they right, were there right. they were part of this scene and and it's just you just never heard as much about them so joy very very recognizable i mentioned gonzo who is the drummers uh, also does backing vocals uh his brother phil is one of the guitar players and was the guy that left and came back uh at some point during the band's history jeff duncan is the other guitar player and uh as we mentioned david pritchard was was the guitar player that passed away of leukemia and so that's your unit and those guys are all still you know without david in the band now and and aren't they all didn't they all like grow up together aren't they all like old school friends i believe that they are uh and i'd have to look at the wikipedia page but yeah i'm sure uh, i remember reading something about like, like part of the reason that they've been able to stick together is because they've known one another since they were like you know eight yeah. years old or something here it is armored saint formed in 1982 by phil and gonzo sandoval guitar player and drummer with guitarist david pritchard while attending south pasadena high school Oh, high join, school, so a little bit older, but yep. yeah. Next to join was singer John Bush, who also was a South Pasadena High School alum and bassist Joey Vera. So yeah, all these yeah. guys were around together back in the day and ended up forming this band, and and here we are today. Yeah. And so uh, this album, Wind Hands Down, came out in June of this year. It was released on the 2nd of June, and it actually did better than La Raza that came out in 2010. That was their last album. So it's been about five years. This album debuted at number 71 on the Billboard 200. It debuted at number 33 on the German charts, and it sold double what La Raza did in 2010. So oh, wow. it was definitely a step up 
from what La Raza did, which I enjoyed La Raza, but I think it suffered from a bit of that inconsistency. It was it right. was a nice return for Armored Saint, but it didn't blow me away. Um, uh, one other quick fact about Armored Saint. Back in 1992, if you saw the film Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, which I went and saw in the theater, that's which something I'm not extremely proud of, but I was a big Hellraiser fan back in the day. <laughs> that was not one of the better sequels. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, they played in that movie. There's a scene where one of really? the main characters goes into a club, and I believe oh, it's the, the scene the, where the ubiquitous the band in club. <laughs> exactly, they were the band in club. They were playing uh, the song "Hanging Judge," which I believe is off of "Symbol of Salvation" in the film Hellraiser Three, uh, which had some good scenes. There was a scene where like CDs are cutting dudes' heads off and stuff like that. So. Wasn't Hellraiser Three the one that where Motorhead did a theme song for it as well? It very well may have. It makes sense if they had Armored Saint on the soundtrack that they went a little more metal with that one. Yeah. That was the one where I think it was the owner of the nightclub had like a sculpture that had Pinhead's face in it or something like. That. It was like the sculpture of the pillar with, um, you know, with the souls on it and stuff like that, and it ended up coming to life and all that kind of jazz. Uh, right. So yeah, it was a little bit cheesier than the first two, but I I have seen. I have seen all. Oh yeah, of no, here we movies. are. Oh right, no, it's actually it was a cover of of the Aussie song Hellraiser. Okay. Uh, Motorhead's recording of this song was used in the movie Hellraiser Three: Hell on Earth, uh, and of course it appeared on their March or Die album. Yeah, which I, is where I heard it. But I'm I remembered at the time, like you know, reading something maybe in Kerrang or something that yeah, it had been uh, used. I thought as the theme song for the movie, but I, I'm not sure about that. But so uh, yeah, but it's actually the Aussie song, so. <laughs> So that, to me, added to their coolness factor because, again, you know, in a year before that, I was hearing songs from Symbol of Salvation. I went out and bought that album based on Reign of Fire, and then in '92, which is around the same time that he joined Anthrax, you have, you know, them showing up in a Hellraiser movie. I'm a huge horror fan, so, so at that point in time, I thought that Armored Saint was was at their most popular at that time, right. but it turns out that that wasn't necessarily the case. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit of background on the band. Nine songs. 52 minutes yes uh which is i mean in, in terms of album total album length that's fine uh but for nine songs it's quite surprising actually when you because you know what little i know of them i considered them to be a sort of traditional thrash band yes. and then it, a lot of these songs are over five minutes three of them are over six minutes mm-hmm. um i think that's too long but we'll get into this when we go track by track but overall i think this album would have been better if they had shortened pretty much all of the songs especially the ones over five minutes just to tighten things up i that's hard for me to hear but we'll talk about that when we get to the different songs so but i wanted to read you a quote before we got into talking about the tracks because i think it informs where they were coming from on this record so they there was a couple interviews that were done uh John Bush said, when we began talking about a new record, I told Joey to, and Joey, by the way, is the one who writes most of the songs. Uh, John, obviously, I would assume writes all the lyrics. I don't have the liner notes in front of me, but um, they are definitely John Bush lyrics on this album for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, it, unmistakable. So, uh, but Joey is, uh, plays multiple instruments. He, he, my understanding is he'll do like a rough of the song and send that out to everybody and then they'll build off of it and stuff like that. So he said, when we began talking about a new record, I told Joey to pretend that we were a really huge band and that we could do anything that we wanted. That was the mindset we should have from writing and in, into the production. And he said, what came out was Wind Hands Down, which is our first record in five years. There's everything from classic Armored Saint to epic songs. And we dug deep to deliver something special. Uh, and he talks about just in general, 
about the lyrics and stuff for the album. He says, to be honest, a lot of what I write is reminding myself how to live. If you want to live like this, put it in a song, is sort of his motto. Uh, I strive to be a better person, a father, and a human. This is a reminder. I'm not trying to be Bob Dylan. I don't have that much foresight. But especially being a little bit older, you can identify things. I try to write things people can relate to, but I'm also writing about things that have an impact on me. It's the platform I have, and it's nice when people are able to relate. Mm, uh, which that's I think, fair enough. That's kind of Lemmy's, you know, half of Lemmy's songs are basically about like, yeah, you know, how you should, or how he thinks you should live your life. <laughs> and then Joey Vera, who is the, as we mentioned, main sort of songwriter said, I wanted more music sections and I didn't want to be tied to verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar, solo, end of song. He said, if I felt inspired to write a bridge and I wanted it to appear twice, it could. Uh, he said, I wanted to be able to play with the music. Some of the songs are a little long on the Armored Saint side, so I might have had to pull the reins back a little bit with John and say I wanted one section to be just music. But we were able to play with the arrangements and uh, a bit to fit what we both wanted to do. The results are great, and there are great performances from everyone. So interesting perspective that they had going into this album, which I think you you just mentioned, the length of the songs and things like that. Um, those are the two things that, that I think stick out when you give this album especially a first listen is the length of a lot of the songs and then of course uh, to me john bush's lyrics which always he is like one of those singers that speaks directly to me and maybe mm -hmm. it's just because i'm you know in my early 40s now and and it's that midlife crisis time of life where you're sort of examining where you've been and where you're going and what sort of world we're living in and all that kind of stuff. And it just seems, even with his Anthrax stuff, even 10, 15 years ago, he just, like, his lyrics speak to me. And there's at least three or four songs on any album where John Bush is writing lyrics that are very powerful to me. And this album is no exception at all. Um, it's a very reflective album, I think, in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, and his yeah, lyrics I, just speak to me, man. That comes across. I'm trying to find who produced this album, and I don't, I'm I'm struck. I mean, I, I'm literally looking it up now. I probably should have done some research on, uh, on that aspect of it before we started, and I I don't see anything obvious. Uh, um, for a, I, for a it credit, might be so. Joey. Um, but oh, so not an external producer. That I think that's what I was trying to figure out. Uh, da, 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 da. I'll have to look it up too. It it might be that they had that Joey either mixed or produced it, and they brought someone in to do the other part of it, but um. I'll double check that and we can put that in the show notes. But I know that Joey is very much uh, into production now and has worked with other bands and stuff like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if he is the one that ended up producing this album. Right, right. Fair and enough. I think production-wise, I freaking love this album. Like, oh, so in terms of sound, like what uh, we were talking about earlier, yeah, in terms of sound and clarity, yeah, it's really, really well produced. Every album, uh, every album, every uh, instrument, all the vocals – all the backing vocals, all the sort of little touches that they put in the song, like everything is just, it's such a great balance to me. And, and man, the guitar tone on this album is amazing. Like there's certain albums where the guitar tone just blows me away. A lot of George Lynch's stuff with Dokken, he just had a sound. Uh, I mentioned Merciful Fate. I mentioned Slayer, like the sound, their tone that mm -hmm. they get. And this album, like I love the tone of the guitars and the crunch of the guitar. They're just they're just heavy. Do you know what and, the lead guitar tone really reminded me of? Uh, Metallica's Load album. 
Really? Really, really, only the lead, not talking about the rhythm, only the lead guitar. I was list- As I was listening to some of the solos, I was like, this really, really reminds me. Now, I haven't done sort of an, a, you know, a kind of compared listening test. Maybe my mind's playing tricks on me. But as I was listening, yeah, it really reminded me of Kirk's lead guitar sound on the Load album. Oh, I might yeah. have to go back and listen to that now. <laughs> You've just given me a reason to pick up Metallica's Load again and listen to it. Oh, there you go. So I will have to go back and listen to that. Uh just quick general thoughts, other things I mentioned that that I really like the production on it. Uh, I like the fact that I think a lot of these songs feel very different from one another, um, with maybe one exception on the album, but I, I like how they're sort of all over the place. I think this band, from a musicianship standpoint, is very underrated. Like, Oh, they're clearly excellent musicians. Oh, they're yeah, yeah. excellent musicians, and that struck me when I saw them play live, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode, but that that really stuck with me on this album like they're all at at like the top of their game on this album and again usually you think of john bush as the face of a particular project but joey vera is a ridiculous bass player ridiculous and yeah yeah no the bass does stand out on several tracks oh it's and it it makes sense when the bass player is writing a lot of these songs that they have these (laughs) insane bass lines and a lot of times the bass is the lead and the guitars are following or you know the the guitars can go off and do what they want because the bass is really holding everything down and and yeah just really good and and some of Gonzo's um, drum lines are uh, just really not overly complex but really interesting I think if anything I found uh, a lot of the songs of this album it seems to be the they seem to take the other way around where the guitars actually are doing fairly standard stuff and yep. it's the bass that's galloping off doing weird interesting things uh, so. Yeah, which is kind of, I mean, is actually not that unusual in most forms of music, but is unusual in metal. Right. That is, you know, you don't hear that much uh, in, you know, especially traditional sounding metal. And the background vocals I love on this album. I think these guys are good singers, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and they don't, they don't, it's not like huge choruses with backgrounds every time around, but where they do accent and support what's happening in a song it's really good in one song they have a guest vocalist which we'll talk about when we get to it but um yeah. but yeah i really like their like they're they harmonize well together yep yes they do but then you know growing up together they've had a lot of practice yeah but just really and the the cool thing was and and i'll save the rest of it for the end but like in concert that's how they sound which blew right. me away like john bush still sounds amazing live the rest of the band still sounds amazing like these guys are late 40s early 50s now all of them and they all sound like Joey Vera is like 52 years old. They all sound awesome. They all have a lot of energy. It still sounds great. Um, yeah. So that's my general thoughts. And, and as, as, uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, I love the album overall, but let's break it down track by track. All right. Uh, track one title track win hands down. Just one chance Mr. Makers Piss them off Deal with guns 
Yes, and I will say right off the bat, I love the pick slide and drum intro with air horns in the background. Like it to me, if you are announcing, like get ready because we're bringing it. <laughs> yeah, I I just love that intro. It's a really energetic intro. It's like you know we we've talked before about the importance of a good intro on an album and it being a sort of a statement of intent. Uh, and this definitely is that. It is really you know, fast, energetic, uh, just kind of exciting. Yeah, you know, it really gets you into it. And, of course, you know, John's unmistakable voice crashing right. in. Um, and they they introed like this at their show, which I have like a 10-second clip of, which I will give you a link to, Anthony, so you can put in the show notes. But I, I like to – my new thing is when I go to see shows now, I just like to intro like how a band starts the show. I like to record it. All and right. they they started it with basically this. So everybody came on stage with the, with the started the pick slides and the drum roll. And, you know, Bush was sort of gyrating up there. And then, boom, the song sort of explodes, which is really cool. John Bush gyrating, not necessarily something I'd want to see. But, uh. Yeah, not so much in an Elvis <laughs> way, but we'll, uh, you'll see. You'll see in the video. The okay. video will, will do it justice. Yeah. All right. He was feeling um, the music. Right. This, this track really more than any other on the album it's one of my favorites on the album uh and part of that is because it more than any other on the album it really reminds me of bush era anthrax like even down to the drumming even the drumming style the whole track just really reminds me of that's you know as we consider it golden era of anthrax when bush was uh was leading you know was doing the vocals for them yes i think it's a little I don't want to say lighter in tone than a lot of Anthrax stuff, but I, I think structure-wise and riff-wise and stuff like that, I definitely agree. It sounds like something that would not be, it would be at home on an Anthrax album. Absolutely, sure. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, if this track had been on We've Come For You All or something, or even Volume 8, I, I wouldn't have blinked, you know? Right, absolutely. And and it's to me, this is a perfect example. This song is basically what kind of a microcosm of the whole album which in that way it's a great opening track because it gives you a little bit of what you can expect from the rest of the album and to me i think this first song is sort of a kind of a middle finger to the mainstream oh, sure, idea yeah, of yeah. what the band is supposed to be and or or what people have always tried to make make them out to be and, and it goes back to what we talked about when we were, I was reading from John Bush's interview quotes about how you know we wanted to treat this album as like what if we were the biggest band in the world and we just did whatever we wanted, and we just came out like that. Like I feel like this song has that spirit. Of yeah. They just kick the door down. They're like, listen, we have been around for a long time. This is a group of guys who know exactly what they're doing. We're very confident in, in what we know how to do, and we no longer give a crap what people think or try to force us to be. And, and I and think that, there's also an acknowledgement. I mean, in the in the very first lines of the lyrics, there's an acknowledgement also that they are a band of old friends who sort of keep one another grounded and real. Yeah, and that maybe some of the choices that they've made didn't work out. You know, there's there's lyrics in there that talk about deal with consequences or not. You know, it, it's 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 there's a lot of that running through the album. The, the this sort of aged wisdom sort of mentality coming through. I think a yeah. lot of hey, we still have a lot of good stuff ahead of us, but we have been around the block a few times and that is definitely something that uh, we, we feel more confident for it. Yeah. And talking about it being a sort of microcosm of the album, it is. And uh, you know, in, <laughs> in more ways than one. And one of those ways is that 
the solo feels too long to me. Like it's a good solo. I do I do like it, but it feels like it just goes on like 16 bars too long, you know? I'm I'm just a little bit bored by the end before John comes back in and starts singing. Like if he if they just knocked off a bit of that, I just feel the whole song would be a bit stronger for it. But it does end great though with the harmonizing it, it does, guitars yeah. as they, you know, just the the fast picking the one note all the way down as as they slide down the neck like that to me first of all is so 80s it's awesome but second of all <laughs> is like if you could reach into my brain and pick out like that's what i want from guitars like that is right, right. that just speaks to my soul so yeah i think they i think maybe uh, i'll give you that and uh, what's interesting is the the little interlude that they have in the song which when we talk about choices that a band makes that maybe keeps them from being mainstream or something that keeps something from being a radio song or something like that like that's classic example right there like well the the interlude itself i actually i I think is fine i don't think that's necessarily a problem but the way they go in and out of it in that they actually just kind of don't and everything just stops and then you get the interlude and then, then everything just starts up again um that's an area where it's like yeah that's gonna jar you know, like most people listening to that are going to go, whoa, wait a second, what happened there? And sometimes that's good, but on a song like this, which is a fairly straight ahead rock song, it's it's a little too unusual, I think. Um, I mean, you've got to respect their choices. You've got to respect that clearly, yes, they had an attitude of like, we are just going to write whatever the hell we want yep. uh, because they're long past the point of worrying about, I would imagine about you know commercial appeal. But, but you could totally so- see like a producer in the 80s being like, yeah, cut that out of the middle of the song. Well, or just, even a producer now, this is yeah. this whole album, the whole album, I kind of felt like, oh, I wish I was there. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could have like been behind the glass going, guys, guys, just a couple of little changes yeah. and you, you know, you could really step it up. But I mean, you know, who am I to say? What do I know? I'm just one guy with an opinion. <laughs> but I think, I think you're right in that there are a lot of choices on this album that you could make the case for going in a different way. And that's not to say that I disagree with any of them because I, the first time I heard this, it was jarring when I listened to this the first time I was like, huh, that's an interesting, the more I listen to it now, like it's such a great, it almost makes you realize like it, it makes you not take for granted what they gave you to start the song with because right. it starts off so heavy and then it just cuts out and they're doing this, you know, sort of muted where the bass is sort of doing a little solo thing. And there's some, some very sort of light soloing in the background by the guitars. And then of course the drums kick back in and the chugs kick it back in. And then it goes into the, the, uh, the solo. And the more you listen to that song like that, when they bring it back in, it's like, Oh yeah, this song is freaking heavy. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't oh, you, allow you, you to take the song for granted contrast. because yeah, it makes yeah. you miss it when it, when it drops out like that. Um, and then I love the end of that, but I, I also, one of my favorite lyrics, there's so much that this platoon can do. Like it's, it's the announcement song, you know, the band it's of brothers. The, exactly. It's like, yeah, we, we've got so much potential and so much experience in this band. And I think that's something that plays throughout the album. And, and I love Again, John Bush's vocals on this song. I think there's a couple times, especially right at the end, uh, where he's just screaming the, the the word "down" in "Wind Hands Down," where it's like, okay, yep, he's still got it. Yep, oh, it's yeah. all still there. Sure. He can still let it rip whenever he wants to. And so, it, to me, this first song is like, if anybody was worried that we still don't know what we're doing or we can't bring it, yeah, let that let this be a lesson to you. Rest we're bringing assured. it. Yes, yeah. we are bringing yeah. it. 
Um, I actually uh, put this album, much like with the Sister Sin album, I was at the gym this morning, so I put this album on uh, as a workout, you know, tr- soundtrack. Um, and this track, absolutely, like, you know, when you're on the treadmill, uh, <laughs> this track will, apart from that, you know, slow bit in the middle, but I was expecting it at least. Um, right. But yeah, th- this track will really get you going uh, on the treadmill. Some of the rest of the album, not so much. Um, but yeah, there are a few tracks, and this was one of them, that were really, really good workout songs. So then we move on to song number two, Mess. tempted to make a joke and say and it is a bit of a mess but that's not fair um it's but the chorus is for me definitely the best part of this song the verses are kind of meandering a bit there's not a lot of dynamics in the music and the vocal lines almost sound like he doesn't know where he's going like he's just kind of making it up as he goes along almost. And I'm sure that's not the case, but that's, I don't know, it just doesn't, uh, didn't click with me at all. But the chorus, once we get to the chorus, uh, and the, the pre-chorus also, way too long. That's a problem, I think, throughout this whole album is all of the pre-choruses are way, way too long. But uh, the chorus on this one, absolutely love. Um, and the, uh, you know, shouting annihilate uh, oh. along along with the... Um, you know, along with the drums and the guitars, brilliant. Um, yeah, just you know, the chorus absolutely great, but the the rest of it, yeah, I can kind of you know take or leave. So it may not surprise you. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. I absolutely <laughs> love this song. Uh, I love where we have uh, as you know, wind hands down kicks the door down, and then this song begins with. You know, with the drums and oh, yeah, it's just the like, intro's great. Yeah, it to me, it's like the they they threw two haymakers in a row. You know, like they come out swinging on this album, and so this album starts off, uh, especially with that intro, really heavy, and then it sort of uh, you know lets the drums kick in, and it's got sort of this rolling sort of riff thing that goes on. And and I agree, I don't necessarily think that the the main verses are great. The chorus is amazing. Yeah, it's um, a great chorus. You know, and again, it's it's a song about the just the the wasteful society that we've become and how the planet's fallen apart and all this kind of stuff. And uh, there's some fantastic lyrics. You know, the price of an all-you-can-eat buffet will put you away. 
uh, and then he's talking about there is no difference between the likes of us except we're all going to burst. Uh, just awesome stuff. I love that. And then the, the chant of annihilate, you know, the mess that we've made will annihilate and then they just drive that home. And especially at the end of the song, like you get the, the drum intro again, but it just kicks off the end of the song and just ends so heavy. Yeah. That and that's what I love. Like I feel like coming in and out of these songs, like they, there's some really good endings to these songs where they yeah. just like some they really just, good intros as well. Yeah, Int- like, intros and endings they've absolutely nailed. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. I mean, I do think some of the songs meander a bit, but I, I think overall, like this song to me, I, I absolutely love it. And the drums are great. Gonzo is is fantastic. This was another song where they have a bit of an interlude, although it's much shorter than. Mm-hmm what you get on when hands down but uh you know at this point you're wondering is this going to be on every song now how how is this going to kind of play out um but yeah love and i love the uh the backing vocals on this song too so lots of good stuff and lyrically i i really like it so yeah yeah no lyrically it is one of the better songs on the album yeah i'm not i wasn't actually massively impressed by the lyrics on this but they're good they're they're fine and serviceable, but there was well, it's a bit like Dio, a bit like I said about the Dio album. Like, there's nothing wrong with them at all, but at the same time, none of them really kind of make me go, "Oh, that's a great lyric." You know? If I was to guess what your thought about the lyrics on this album overall is, that they're very spot on. They're very um, they're very on the nose. Like he's ri- he's writing very straight ahead on well, almost are- every. Lyric. Like are, it, he's I being very literal, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. And, and it's, it's all very sort of straight ahead. But I don't have a problem with that because he was like that with uh, most of the lyrics in Anthrax as well, you know, which which I really enjoyed. So it's not, and, you know, to be fair, most of those lyrics as well didn't sort of, uh, you know, really kind of get me. One or two, but, you know, o- overall, I have no problem with straight ahead on the nose lyrics, but there's something about these that just, as I say, there's nothing wrong with them but they don't pop for me. Okay. Well, let's talk about exercise. Uh, exercise. Let's talk about uh, song number three and exercise <laughs> in debauchery. love the opening riff to this song my very first note is love the opening riff yeah good rhythm really catchy it's got um, this mysterious feel to it and it just sort of like leads you down a rabbit hole like it it just it pulls you in immediately i think yeah i think uh actually in contrast to the last song i think this song has way stronger verses and the chorus is actually a bit weak um but i think the verses on this song are 
really strong. Again, good rhythm, great riff. Um, you know, sort of interesting way of putting the vocals over the music. It's uh, yeah, you know, the verses I think really strong, but the chorus, you know, not so much. There's a lot of soloing in the background of the chorus too. You know, uh, or actually, mm. no, that was mess. That wasn't. That wasn't. That, no, that's song. the previous song. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That was one thing that stuck out to me in the last song. But yeah, this song is uh, as I read the interviews about this is basically about people's addiction to porn nowadays so yeah. uh an odd subject to an uh, odd cover, subject but, to know. tackle <laughs> but he's kind of putting that out there that you know people's habits behind closed doors are uh are a little concerning sometimes um i'm trying to see if there was any lyric my favorite lyric of the song is the opening one he never killed anyone but he hurt somebody's feelings once yeah <laughs> i Push. think that's a great that's a great opening line yeah, I, I was actually, when I saw that ly- that lyric, when I was sort of following along the second or third listen, uh, following along with the lyrics, I was expecting it to be a very, very different song. I, you know, I thought it was going to be about sort of, I don't know, complaining about Twitter or something. Yep. Well, there is a song about that coming up in a few. But, right, uh, yeah, yeah. But this song has a lot of energy too. There's some cool keyboards in the background, and it kind of feels like it gets heavier as it goes along because that opening riff that you start off with, which is pretty clean when it opens, as you get towards the back end of the song, it, you know, you've got more drums and more bass and it really kicks in and it gets very heavy towards the end of it. And again, I feel like this song ends very strongly. It does. And yes, again, yeah, a really good ending. Um, the, the rhythm of the chorus, I like the musical rhythm. I don't think his vocals work that well over the top of it because he, he, he takes a sort of a very literal match the words to the drums uh approach yeah and the and drums just, are like a lot of all over the place with, the, right. with a very cool rhythm as you mentioned but yeah he's it's following great, it yeah but yeah i think vocally it's not so good and i think that's part of the problem but then yes when you get to the end as you say it's a, a great way to end the song so that's like i love op- track number one i absolutely love track number two track number three i think is a good track but it doesn't blow me away but then track number four is one of my favorite songs on the album, which is Muscle Memory. I thought it would be. My clan comes number one in the fight. We brought souls in this world and we'll do it right. Though my moods they swing like a pendulum. They know where my heart comes from. Like God did the party friend and it told me it's only water on the ducks back in the stream. Face it like a man. I like the chorus again the most uh, on this. I think it's a good chorus, uh, great performance in the chorus, and the rest. It's got an interesting riff, but but not interesting enough that it doesn't just it just kind of washes over me. 
Like, there's nothing about the, the main verse riff that grabs me. I want to like this song more than I do, I think, is, the, is, the, is my main sort of takeaway. You know, it's like I listen to it and I think I can tell this is a good song, but it's just not quite there for me. Well, in this song is I don't want to say it's more mellow because it definitely is is heavy in parts, mm. but you oh, get yeah. a very mellow sort of opening where you've got the maracas, you've got the bongos playing in the background, and then you've got the you know the cymbal lead in, and then you've got the bass line. And the and this was one of those songs where the bass line definitely drives this song, and yes. the guitars, especially during the main verses, are really just accenting the bass line and just following it. You know, just just kind of playing off, not necessarily following, but playing off of the bass line where it's not it's not a super riff driven song at all uh except maybe in the chorus itself right right and it is as i say the chorus is my favorite part of it although i one thing i really like one thing that uh sort of i did pull out and note was uh in the vocal melody in the third line of each verse where he deviates from you know sort of the rest the other lines and he hits a couple of just really nice unexpected higher notes at the end of the phrasing, like halfway through the line and then again at the end, and they're just yep. slightly off the major scale for the root, and it just catches you off guard a little bit, and they're nice. They're, it's like just unexpected, but not dissonant, and yeah, just sort of that does elevate it a little bit. That I really like. I like the background vocals in the pre-chor- in the pre-chorus where they're just sort of singing along in the background. I really mm-hmm. like that, and especially because towards the end of the song, in the in the first couple uh, times around, they're just singing a note. In towards the end of the song, they're repeating words that he's saying, which is right, kind of right. cool. It sort of builds more towards it gets to the end. I love, you know, lyrically, muscle memory. I, I is what I use to carry me. I reference stuff I know, then I put my feet down and go. And there, yeah. that is a verse that's repeated at the end. And then when he says go, the whole song changes and just drives home another fantastic ending to a song where Joey Vera has this sick bass, you know, uh, (laughs) fill that he does and the guitars follow it too. And it's just like, it's this big descending scales towards the end and then a big hard stop. And again, I I noted it down as like, this is one where I really like the ending. Like they've absolutely got this, you know, some of these elements absolutely nailed down. Um, it's you know so it, it's almost surprising if you like that sort of some of the other bits are in of the songs are meander a little bit more you know when they're so tight on the intros and the outros and i really like the song lyrically i mean again he's talking about the experience that he's lived and how you know it's his muscle memory that carries him through sort of the tougher days how you know the scars yeah. that he's earned over the years um and but what there is are he a says, lot of lyrics there are the, a lot of lyrics in this song. <laughs> there is. Again, it's one it's a longer song, you know, uh, and he's talking about it's the bane of my existence to pass the torch in a world of nonsense and that as a father again, you know, really <laughs> really speaks to me and and yeah. again like it's these types of songs like I know there is a lot of lyrics in the songs but it's it's these types of lyrics that he and the way that he sings them to me that really just sort of speaks to me and Oh uh, sure. But as I was, this song and what's the the very last song, "Up Yours," I was yes. like, "Does the, who does he think he is, Martin Walkier or something?" These are like, he's practically half a novel. He's yes. singing along, and I think that, I think that actually is uh, that, if you like, speaks to the value of having guys like Charlie Benante 
and Scott Ian working with him in Anthrax? Because I kind of get the feeling that, like, from what you've told me and from what little I've read about them, that Armand Saint is very much, you know, they leave him alone to do his own thing. And I think, I, I, you know, I've said before, I love John Bush. I think he's a great singer. He's a good lyricist. He's a great vocalist. But I think he needs an editor. I think he's one of these guys who benefits from somebody else saying, what about this? What about if we, you know, uh, cut a few words out and sing it like this instead? And I think that would have really benefited him on most of this album because it just feels like he's trying to get so much in, cram so many lyrics in, uh, that sometimes I think it suffers as a result. And, and I, I don't want to, I just want to say, I, I know I'm probably sounding quite negative here. I did like this album. I really did. I'm just picking it bits where it's, you know, I kind of listen to it and go, this is good, but it could be better. Could be so much better. Here's another thing that I think plays into this is, is, uh, and again, maybe it's because of the age that I'm at right now. And, but when you look at how infrequently these guys release albums, mm. and when you look at the age of this band, I also think there's this notion of how many more times around do we have? I need to get everything into every song that I put out now because yeah. you know what i mean it's it's yeah. that whole thing like and and for me like this happened when i turned 40 and it's so cliched but but around the time that you turn you know turn 40 and i have kids that are nine years old and 12 years old now but from a creative standpoint you really start thinking about like how much time you have left to create how oh, many yeah. projects you actually have enough time to get yeah. out there and trying to make the most of everyone and and get all the stories out that you wanted to tell and make sure that that stuff is out into the world even sometimes if it's not the most polished thing that it ever could be because you only have so much time left. And and again, that's, that's, I don't want to sound fatalistic at the age of 41 years old, but <laughs> no, I do but I feel totally like the, and these guys are like 50, right? So, yeah. so you got to think that they put out their last album in 2010. I'm sure they it's going to take another five years. Exactly. Yeah. They, they may be thinking, well, we're, we're only got maybe going to be put able to put out another three or four albums. Yeah. Right. And I, I get the feeling with these guys that it's almost like, well, this might be our last album. So we want to put everything that we could possibly get in it. So I would imagine that there is some of that, like Bush wants to have all of his lyrics in and Vera wants to be able to explore with the music and stuff like that. And so um, I've never read anything that says that that process is contentious between them, but right. definitely um, you could see where where in areas it can feel a little self-indulgent with the length of the songs and the amount of lyrics that are in them and stuff like that. And Yeah, well, and, you know, as I've said before, I am absolutely 100% for people doing what they want to do and do it their way. Uh, you know, and if they don't want, if they want to do this and they don't want somebody else sort of editing them or producing them, uh, then, you know, more power to them. Absolutely, go ahead and do it if that's what makes you happy. Um, but just sort of purely from a listener's standpoint. Sure. You know, the whole album, I kept thinking, if this was just 30 seconds shorter. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, they don't even come into the same universe in approaching St. Anger levels of self-indulgence, oh no. No, no, but, no, no. but which I think is the gold standard for... Uh, no, where, where you're thinking, if only this was five minutes shorter. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, but yeah, you're right. I do think they, they... I felt like they walked that line, but I can totally see how it feels like they went over that line on some of these songs for sure. Just, just stepped over it, yeah. You yeah. know, not not fatally, but yeah, just enough that it's like, oh, nearly, nearly. So now we're on to that was then way back when.
uh, you had mentioned a few songs ago, you know, the idea of, of a, sound, a song feeling like it was maybe a, a rail against Twitter. This is right. definitely the song where it's <laughs> yeah. like, I am sort of disgusted with the online vicarious Behavior. life that many people are leading right now. Um, yeah. And it's their, their sort of take on that. It's quite a thrashy song as well, actually. This, yeah. this probably uh, out of the whole album to me felt most like, I don't want to say throwback, because it's not that it sounds like it came directly off of Ride the Lightning or something, but it definitely has that thrashy feel to it. And you say, you know, these guys were around back then themselves. Yep. So, yeah, it's like it's the one song where it feels like they might be hearkening back to, which is, of course, appropriate along with, you know, to go with the title, hearkening back to a sort of more traditional thrashy sound. And it's got a very galloping sort of, uh, you know, verse riff. And then the and it's a up-tempo song overall and certainly the chorus is is much more um you know up-tempo as they play through it which is interesting because i think it's a good placement on this album you know we're at what is the halfway sort of tipping point of the album and for a lot of bands this is where it starts to dip right. and so i like that they put here, kind no. of a straight ahead <laughs> uh, up-tempo rocker like yeah. right here in the middle, just as well, like, and, hey, and hey, don't angry, drift on us, you know? <laughs> right, and an angry one as well. You know, exactly. lyrically, it is clearly an angry, frustrated song, which is g- good. Although, again, lots of lyrics. Um, I, I I like the bridge on this song in particular because more than, certainly the rest of this song, and more than most of the rest of the songs on the album, it breathes. Yeah. It's like, it's not that it suddenly be- goes like, you know, slows down and becomes acoustic, but it just feels like the bridge breathes more than the rest of the song, even when Bush is singing over it. And there's a lot of harmonizing guitars again in this song, and, uh, and I think a great solo. It's, mm. uh, this yeah, it is, is a good solo on this, yeah. Where yeah. that stuff gets the shine. One of my favorite lyrics, I drift on back a couple of decades and regress to a time when I was king. The future seems so uncertain, but the past is a place I could do anything. And again... <laughs> like not necessarily a feeling that we all haven't had at some point in time, <laughs> yeah. you know, as you're thinking about how old you are and, and how much, I think a lot of the stuff that I like about Bush's lyrics is you get this sense of this anxiety that we all have about time wasted back sure. in the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just not taking advantage of, of what you had in front of you. Um, Although from a sort of personal identification point of view, my favorite lyrics on this are actually the, the pre-chorus, the somebody knows me, guess again. Someone yes, likes somebody me, likes guess me, guess again. Yeah, uh, I love being famous, guess again. Guess again. My 15 minutes, it came and it went. I, I am by no means a famous person, but I am well known enough that I have been on the receiving end of, you know, the odd bit of abuse online and stuff. Sure. Um, and, you know, or even not abuse, sometimes just, you know, over-familiarity from people who exchange two tweets with me and then suddenly think that we're best buddies. Sure. Um, and so I could really relate to a lot of the lyrics in this song. <laughs> and, and it almost has the message of like, you have to completely crash and burn to break free of that when you're in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this yeah. idea that, you know, I, I got lost again so I could be found this, this whole notion of like, I had to just break completely free of that mentality in order to get myself right again. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause it is easy, especially, you know, in, we hear this term internet famous all the time, but it is so easy to get caught up in, you know, you spend more time tweeting about stuff and, and talking about stuff than actually making stuff sometimes, you know, when it comes to that, uh, 
Yeah, oh, just absolutely. online that, life that, in general. That's you know? definitely a danger. And then, yeah, the sort of the attitude that some people have towards uh, public figures, for want of a better word, on uh, social media can be, you know, uh, could, could use a bit of empathy now. And, and how quickly that turns. Right, you exactly. Know? I mean, just exactly. ask Joss Whedon how things are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> things change <laughs> yeah. for him on a, on a regular basis. So, um, so yeah, that that to me is a good uh, palate cleanser of a song in the middle of the album. Like, just brings you right back to, to heavy rocking. Then we go into song six, which is with a full head of steam. Which I think is a really interesting song for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the intro is kind of a false. St- it it leads you to believe the song is going to be something that it's not. You know what I mean? And then it gets right. much heavier from there and much uh, faster. I love uh, the main rift, the main rift, which is really fast uh, and really sort of busy, and the song just sort of explodes. And I and there's like a uh, to me, it sounds like flange in the beginning, just this, this sort of uh, echoey. You know, yeah, I'm not in, sure what the effect what the effect is there, but yeah, I it's I agree. I like this one. Uh, <laughs> actually, go talking about lyrics and vocals and stuff. The vocals breathe a little more easily on this one. You know, he, it's not crammed full of lyrics. Uh, the vocal melody just kind of breathes along with the rhythm. Um, the chorus melody, the and I don't mean vocal melody here. I mean the sort of the guitars really reminds me of typo negative. Huh. On this one, and I'm sure that that is not deliberate. I cannot believe <laughs> that typo is a sort of overt influence on these guys. But there is something about those chords in the chorus and the guitar that just makes this really sounds like a typo negative chorus. <laughs> but I like the bridge. I like the breakdown, sort of almost like a semi breakdown. It's like the most modern the album sounds in some, in some ways. Uh, in this song, the solo is pretty good. Uh, this is one of my faves on the album. I, I you know, I really like this song. Well, and, uh, you know, lyrically, it, it, right from the title, it's about, you know, taking on what life throws at you with a full head of steam and, and yeah. just not, never quitting and, and, you know, keep on pushing through it. Uh, the beginning almost felt a little Queensryche to me when it first started, and then it just explodes into that main riff. The the female singer on this song is Perla Day, who is Scott Ian's wife and also the daughter of Meatloaf. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Wow. Yeah, she is in a band called Motor Sister with Joey Vera and Scott Ian. And I think they just recently put out an album, but they had done like some, it started off as like a pet project where they were doing some fun stuff together and it became uh, something more. But she used to sing back and vocals for Meatloaf. And she's Scott Ian's wife? Yes. Okay. So I think that, I mean, you have to assume, therefore, that that kind of once and for all settles that clearly those guys have kissed and made up. You know, 
Bush may not be going back to singing Anthrax anytime soon, but I find it hard to imagine that they would still have any kind of beef and be able to do collaborations like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, and I also think that it, it speaks of the fact that uh, Bush is not the only one that has a relationship with that family because Joey Vera plays in uh, yeah, the band exactly. with Scott yeah. Ian. And Joey Vera, you know, again, has been in Anthrax before. And so um, we tend to think of everything through the John Bush, you know, sort of lens. But clearly there's other connections here. And I agree. Obviously, whatever happened, however it happened, um, it can't be that bad that they don't it, work together It was anymore. long enough ago that... Clearly, it's all water under the bridge yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, and she's which great. is good. Good. Yeah, she's great, and and was great when she was singing with Meatloaf, and and has a great voice, and I think works really well playing off of John Bush here. Um, you know, sort of the the trade off lyrics there, but yeah, it's a fun song, and I like the way that the uh, end of the song sort of again we keep talking about the ending of songs here, but just the the way that that galloping riff just sort of creeps at the end and then ends really solid. Yeah. Uh, th- we talk about them because they're good. You know, like I say, these guys know how to, and I bang on about endings of songs quite a lot myself. You know, I've certainly in some of the early episodes, uh, especially, you know, the, uh, a really good ending to a song can kind of, it's like sticking the landing, you know, or it's like the good, a good ending to a movie. It leaves you with a good feeling about the rest of the song. Yeah, and exactly. it's harder, it's harder to do than you might think, um, as evidenced by the fact that so many bands can't do it very well. <laughs> right, they just fade out into infinity or, or yeah. something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas these guys end songs. Well, or end every song with the traditional, you know, sort of Motorhead-style five minutes of strumming the same chord and the cymbals crashing, you know, which is right. fine, but when you, know, when you start doing that on every song, you're probably in trouble. Right. So then we go to uh, my favourite song on the album which is in an instant. And again, because of the emotion behind it, this song was actually written with the Boston Marathon bombing from 2013 in mind, oh, um, which that. puts the title clearly in perspective. Mm. Um, but I think, again, you know, being the age that we're at, and and I think all of us have probably had things happen in our lives that change everything. You know, and this is just one of those songs that really puts that in perspective of how quickly life can change and how if you're and I feel like the the next song, uh, Dive, speaks to that a little bit as well. But this notion of like 
you're planning for a day that might never come. You know, right. you're you're yeah. you're banking on this future that is never guaranteed. You're working this dead end job because you're planning for a retirement that you might never live to see. Like that, things can change in an instant and change your whole life. And I don't know. I don't think I've talked about it on this show, but back in August, um, our family dog got hit by a car and and killed. And it was the for our family, it was absolutely a shattering experience because, um, and that it kind of capped off a year of crazy things happening in the lives of people that I know. And so I've seen a constantly over the past year or two, this notion of things dramatically altering people's lives in a moment. And so to have a song that speaks about that, you know, it, it's kind of asking a few questions like, Hey, what am I doing in my life right now? You know, where am I right now? Where am I going? Um, but then also just the, he, one of the lyrics, the fragility of life, it can change with the blink of an eye. And as you gaze and wonder why it accelerates then passes you by mm. like that to me is one of the most profound statements because again these things happen and as you're trying to just deal with the why and the injustice of it all life is still going on other things are still happening and if you if you can't move on then life just passes you by like that that whole thing and, and i the way that those lyrics are delivered in uh in this song the the balance of the sort of acoustics with the heavier riffs in this song like it it just feels very heavy emotionally and i i pretty much and this is a song that i think if there's a criticism of it sort of could have ended twice <laughs> like there's right <laughs> you know there's a part where where the the sort of whole riff changes again but both times it does that they're both awesome so I can't fault the song for being that long because they, there's some amazing riffs on the back end of this song that just, uh, that just are crazy good. So yeah, I I freaking love this song. Like this is this is a song that for me stands out. It's not the heaviest song in the album. It's not the most elaborate song on the album, but it to me is the most powerful song on the album. Wow. Well, uh, all all I'm going to say that in in respect of that, all I'm going to say is I want to like this track more than I do. Um, so, Which was the let, same for the other one too, right? Well, muscle right. memory. Those and, yeah. and if I had to pick two on this album from an emotional They're standpoint yeah. <laughs> that speak to me, it is these two songs, right? And so maybe they are both. Uh, a little bit self-indulgent in terms of their length because they're both longer songs in terms of the amount of lyrics that they have. Well, but and this is me. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with longer songs. I'm the guy who pulled out a 12-minute song, you know, is his favorite. Oh, that is on the, true. On the My now Dying that I Bride think about album. it with My Dying Bride, we've <laughs> yeah. sort of shattered that completely. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a problem with long songs at all, but they have to, ah, uh, they have to not noodle. Yeah. And I, I feel that this track musically, lyrically, uh yeah, absolutely agree with you. But musically, I feel that this track noodles too much. It's a bit too satisfied with how clever it is. Yeah, a bit too self-satisfied. You know, it's um, a song that doesn't want to leave. Right. You know, right, and yeah. and I guess maybe it's from, too busy showing off. <laughs> well, maybe because the the way that it connects with me emotionally, like I'm okay with it not leaving. Like sure, I, I don't. I sure. want to spend a little more time with that song. It, this is a song where, and this is this is perfect. There is once a month. I have to drive like halfway across the state for an all day meeting. And that is about an hour and a half drive from where I am. And on those drives, I always have whatever album that we're listening to queued up for that ride. Right. And so I have like, I'm driving down the main, the, the Massachusetts turnpike and I have just a straight drive 
to be able to crank an album and have no distractions whatsoever in listening to it. And that's when I really get to get inside of an album. And so right, I got right. a chance to do that this past week um, with this album. And so the, these, these songs really, you know, stick with me. Uh, one th- one thing else that this song is a really good example of a mantra that I don't think I've sort of expressed really out loud on the song uh, on the song on the show <laughs> uh, before now. But talking about catchiness and and sort of you know I, I I'm always big on you know the value of good songwriting and stuff. And remember, kids, more notes does not necessarily equal catchy. You know, you can have something that's really catchy with just a couple of notes and a good rhythm. Or you can do something that's, you know, got really complex and beautifully composed and whatever, but is not catchy at all. And vice versa for both. But, you know, you can't you can't assume that because something is musically very accomplished, that it's also catchy. And I think right. that's, I mean, this song is a good example of that. Like I say, I lyrically, is, I am in total agreement with you, but musically, nothing about this song caught me. Uh, and it is a very musically complex and technically accomplished song, absolutely. So I don't mean to pick on this song just by itself, but I think that's kind of, the album as a whole is uh, just not as catchy as it could be. And I think some of that is because musically it is quite self-indulgent. And, you know, not sort of at any point stepping back and saying, okay, can we actually make that a bit catchier by maybe removing something or simplifying something? I'm going to give you one more lyric before we move on to the next song. Uh, And this, again, is towards the end of the song where the riff changes and he really delivers these lyrics. But he says, do you give all? Do you grab life by the balls or drown in fear voices you can't really hear? Just the whole idea of like you holding yourself back and yeah, uh, it's just good stuff, man. It is, it is. Like I say, lyrically, I I think it's a great song. Now, the next song is a very interesting song because it's very different from every other song on the album. Uh, And it's interesting that it's in the number eight spot of a nine-song album. You still have your eyes switched on, but you already bought the farm. ballad <laughs> it is the ballad yeah it is a uh, very somber and very sort of mournful uh piano line that opens the song and i'm going to read you what joey vera said about this song 
He said, Dive was the last song that we wrote, a midnight hour sort of a thing. I wanted to do something different, and we've never had a song with piano as the lead instrument. There was a little piano overdub that I played on a song called Another Day, but this is the first time it was the backbone of the song. And then Bush added, uh, everyone can write a sweet song, everyone can write a dark song, but can you write both? That's what we were trying to do. The song was Joey's idea, and I endorsed it highly. Our lives are so fast-paced, you forget to take a moment and enjoy the moment that you're living in. Uh, so yeah, so that's their thoughts on this particular song. And it is very much a piano-led song. It's certainly, I think this one is uh, much better suited to Bush's voice than, for example, Bear, you know, the ballad totally, on Stop totally agree. Two. Mm-hmm. His voice sounds so much better. Now, some of that may come from him being older and obviously, you know, just being more comfortable in his voice because that happens. Even if you've been singing for 20 years, give it another 20 years and you'll be even more comfortable with your voice. So I think some of that may just come from age, but also just, yeah, the way the song is uh, built and the the kind of the tone of it. I think the whole thing is just much better suited his, to his voice. He sounds so much better on this song. Uh, if I have one complaint about this song, it is that the solo in this song is very 80s ballad solo. Which I don't think the rest of the song. I, I don't. I don't think the rest of the song is necessarily guilty of that. So I think that. No, but the solo does kind of bring it in, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And 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 I love this whole album top to bottom. But and but that it just seemed an odd choice to me because the rest of the song is. I don't want to say classier than that, but it's more. It it almost discredits the song a little bit because it's it's a very uh, sort of vanilla, eighties um, ballad solo which I didn't feel that this song was until we hit that point. And I was like, oh, that's that makes this song feel like something that it isn't, because it was right. a very sort of reflective, and again, like great lyrics here. A snail's pace is better than that rat race. The labyrinth maze is never ending. You know, good stuff here about being of a certain age, looking back on your life, what are you planning for? Um, you could interpret sort of the the chorus, I think, a lot of different ways, but one of them could certainly be that, again, planning for a day that's never going to come, mm. you know, living something less than your uh, the life that's going to make you happy because you think at some point down the road it's going to be, uh, everything's going to pay off, you know, that that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, musically, I thought it was actually kind of a bit bland, this song, but not, I mean, you're absolutely right, I agree with you, that it doesn't sound like a traditional 80s ballad until the guitar solo kicks in, but I did think it was just a bit, Again, you know, didn't really, didn't really grab me. Um, but I very much enjoyed Bush's performance, and yes, the lyrics are good. Yep. And then we finish up with the song that is pretty much the most straight-ahead song on the album, I think, in terms of lyrics. Uh, but also is a uh, is I think a, a throwback, straight-ahead sort of thrasher with harmonizing guitars and dueling riffs and stuff like that, uh, which is up yours.
And again, I think that in a lot of ways, it pretty much sums up the sentiment that they had at the beginning of the album, which is, uh, we don't have to worry about people trying to put us in a box. You know, this is, we can do what we want now. We've, we've earned the ability to do what we want and we are pretty confident in what we've done. Um, but it also has, has a lot of lyrics about sort of this, um, person in his life that he can't get rid of, uh, sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's another mini novel, uh, of lyrics. (laughs) There's a lot of lyrics here. Um, we again this is something we talk about almost every week uh the importance of the final track on the album i actually think this kind of stumbled i don't think this is a great track to end with i think actually it would have been better even though i wasn't you know that keen on it i think in an instant would have actually been a better i don't disagree song. i don't disagree uh, with that because in an instant the end of in an instant is such uh for me, inspirational, but just drives home the song so much and the way that it ends. I do think you could have walked away after in an instant, and yeah. that would have been a great ender. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot to say about up yours. Um, you know, some of the lyrics are good. Uh, it's, but yeah, just nothing really kind of grabbed me or stood out. The no more what ifs lines. Oh, that's I think great. That's yeah. the best. You know, no more what ifs, no more uh, entry to your ravaged mind. I'll break the mold, one of a kind. That's good, and and musically they're good lines as well. Yeah, you when know, he's delivering well. no more what ifs, the riff behind yeah. it is very very good. That is the catchiest and most um, exactly. sticky part of the song for sure. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if the rest of the song was as catchy as that, then it would have been a great closer. But but I also me, think it, it closes wasn't. great. Like this is another song that even though the song may be. Oh, but the ending itself is pretty good. Yes. Yeah, because yes. again, you get uh you you have this great solo where you're sliding down the neck and and you know, picking the note over and over and over again and then you have the dueling the the sort of harmonizing guitar rift at the same time. So it the way the song ends is like a mic drop. You know, like it like they get like they started the the album just building up to kicking the door in and the way this particular song ends is like they drop the mic at the end of the song like so it even though the song itself may not be epic the ending is epic i don't know whether it goes far as epic it is good it is a good ending but it doesn't do that thing that you have always talked about being crucial it doesn't make me want to go back and and press play on track one you know it doesn't make me want to go back and start listening to the whole album again it did have that effect for me, so I because that's exactly what I've been doing is just listening to this <laughs> album like absolutely nonstop. Um, yeah, I mean, now that we're through the end of it, I will say that this album is definitely my album of 2015. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, it, I cannot uh, wow. stop listening to it, and I was listening to it a lot before. It was the reason that I ended up picking it for this show because I had about four albums that I was c- kind of. Uh, tossing and turning over and that's why i ended up picking it because i just can't stop listening to it and that did not die down at all over like the two or three weeks that i've been listening to this album almost non-stop wow um, in the well, car at the gym you know it's not gonna be my you know my favorite album of the year um but what i will say and like i say i don't i hope i haven't sounded too negative because i do think this is a good album i enjoyed it um but uh, but yeah, it's not going to sort of make my top albums of the year. However, I am going to now look at other albums of theirs because 
the main thing I took from this album was that it they sound like a band that I could like a lot, just maybe not this particular album. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the, the sound and the attitude and the style, and I was like, yeah, okay, this, you know, if I could find songs that speak more to me by the same band, then I could get into this. Yep. Just not this album itself. Well, I will tell you because I saw them play live on September 19th of this year at the at a small place in Stafford, Connecticut, that they absolutely deliver live. Oh, I can um, believe that. Yeah, they played yeah. three songs off this album. They played Wind Hands Down, which is the opener. They played it as their opener, and it was great. They played an exercise in debauchery, and they played Mess about three quarters of the way through the set. And the one thing I forgot to mention about Mess when we were talking about that is... There is this part in the middle of the song where they're chanting the word waste and mm, the guys yes. are just playing this sick riff and then they play it faster and fast. It's so good. That's like this. Um, and then it kicks off into the, to a mini solo and then it kicks back into the regular verse. But that live was audience freaking, participation. Oh, dude. So good. Like <laughs> not to mention the audience is, is chanting annihilate. Um, right, right. And when that song drives home the end of the song, like, talk about firing up the crowd and that's just three quarters of the way through the set so yeah <laughs> just uh and that was before they played rain of fire and stuff like that and can you deliver like there there there's definitely some songs that they are known for over the years but th these ones that they chose to throw into the set certainly play well live and that might be why an exercise in debauchery is a song that i have more of an appreciation for because the first time i listened to it it didn't blow me away but um it, live it's fantastic and right, right. man do they kick ass live like just they obviously have spent a lot of time playing together. They obviously play well off of each other. They bring a ton of energy, and it was just uh, it was good stuff. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, uh, and now the end is near. <laughs> so yep. I face the final curtain. Uh, it is the end of Volume 1. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you, Brian, for you know agreeing to do this show with me and joining me on our metal odyssey um once again remember we want to hear from you uh your opinions on how we should go about recording volume and scheduling volume two uh we would love for you to back us on patreon patreon.com slash thrash it out come and join us on facebook at facebook.com slash group slash thrash it out and also if you have listened all the way through to the end of the episode, haha, because I forgot to mention this at the start. So let's see how many of you are actual <laughs> loyal listeners. We have t-shirts. Yes, we, we do. We have t-shirts of the Greenhorns show logo uh, available on Redbubble. And we put them on Redbubble because uh, that way people in Redbubble do a thing whereby they have operations both in the US and Europe. So, you know, neither side misses out. Because God knows I listen to lots of shows where I would love to get their T-shirts, but I'm not paying like $30 for the shirt and then another $20 for shipping to get it from the States. Right. Um, so you go to redbubble.com slash people slash Anthony J, which is my account, basically. And the only thing on there is the Thrash It Out shirts. So that's redbubble.com slash people slash Anthony J. That's A-N-T-O-N-Y-J. And from there, you can order your very own Thrash It Out Volume 1 t-shirt. Well, we'll keep those on sale right the way through until Volume 2. We may keep them on sale forever, but certainly until Volume 2 begins, and then maybe we'll do another design for Volume 2. We haven't decided yet. 
Um, yeah, and but, I got to tell you, I get tons of compliments on that shirt. I wore it at right, New York Comic Con. Right, you've those shirts, yeah. I have, yeah. I've been wearing it to all the different shows that I go to around here on the East Coast, and people are really digging it, and it immediately gets people asking, like, what's that for? And then I can yeah. pitch the podcast to them. So it, it works out really well <laughs> in that way. Excellent. And uh, and I'll yeah, just echo your sentiments. It is not a subtle shirt. We'll warn people now. <laughs> no, which, which it shouldn't be. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's why I love it. But I'll just echo your sentiments. You know, we... The fact that people have responded to this show and, and it seems to not only be finding an audience, but an audience of people who are eager, as eager as we are to talk about this music that we love is really rewarding. This has been an absolute blast. And the other nice uh, side effect of that is that you and I had not had a lot of chances to talk other than being on podcasts with each other over the past few years and the occasional sort of emails back and forth or, or tweets back and forth. So this is the most time that we've spent together in conversation ever uh, it it, is, in the yeah. 10 years that we've known each other, which is <laughs> yeah. really kind of amazing. So uh, that has been an absolute blast. And I can't wait to uh, to jump into volume two. No, nor me. With my enormously infinitely long list of albums that we absolutely must talk about <laughs> yes and if you put suggestions on the facebook page or you've tweeted them at us trust us we're listening we, we yeah we are i mean it, we, you know as you'd guess we are opinionated guys and we have our own ideas of what albums we want to talk about but you know we are always open to feedback of any kind yeah especially about the bands too because chances are if it's a band that you're thinking of it's a band that we've thought of and maybe it won't be exactly the album that you were hoping we would talk about but chances are there's, we'll be hitting on a lot of the bands that you're thinking of over, over time. Absolutely. All right. Um, goodbye, everyone. We will see you next year. Uh, and I'll say that now. I'll be up front. With, there's no way that Volume 2 is coming out before we get through the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see you next year. Everybody, uh, have a great new year. Uh, hope that the holidays and everything go well for everyone. And, uh, yeah, see you in 2016. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Latendry thrash it out. If this is your kind of thing, please spread the word, rate us on iTunes, and support us at patreon.com slash thrash it out. With your help, we can stay completely independent and keep thrashing. If you want to get in touch, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com. Thank you, and good night.